Welcome to the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast, a weekly look into the world of Royal Caribbean cruising. I'm your host, Matt Hotchberg, and this is episode number 326. If you listen to some of the best cruise advice, then you know you should fly into your cruise port at least a day ahead of time to guard against travel delays. But what is there to do before your cruise in your embarkation city? I've got some ideas to share in this week's episode. Here we go. Coming into the cruise port city you're leaving from, at least a day ahead of time, guards against travel delays. You know, if there's any kind of weather, airplane cancellation, whatever the case may be, you're guarded against that and it buffers you against those kind of issues and ensures that you're not going to put your entire cruise vacation in jeopardy as a result of them. But it has an additional benefit, and that is starting your vacation just a little bit earlier. Coming into your cruise port city at least one day ahead of time allows you to explore these cities. I mean, in some cases, maybe you are flying in, you don't get into about, you know, nine or 10 o'clock at night, and you're literally just going straight to the hotel, sleeping, and then going to the cruise ship, in which case, okay. But a lot of people do find the opportunity to spend a little bit of time in that city beforehand. And today, I wanted to talk about some things to do in each of the major US and even one Canadian city to do before your cruise. Now, I chose North America. I know Royal Caribbean cruises go from all over the world, and I apologize that I can't cover the entire world in this one episode, but there's always opportunities to talk about that down the line. We're going to talk about the major U.S. cities. I did neglect to include cities like Anchorage, Alaska, or Montreal, Quebec, Canada, you know, or, or even a Hawaii, for that matter, because, yes, you could theoretically take a cruise out of there, but they're very infrequent, so I didn't include them, and also because I don't know the terrible amount of information about those cities to begin with. So yeah, I picked and choose a little bit of these, but I think it's going to, again, we wanted to aim at the major selections there. And these are ideas of what you can do in each of these cities. This is not the end-all, be-all by any means. Certainly, a lot of this is going to depend on your availability of transportation. Like, are you going to rent a car? Are you going to be using taxis? Are you going to be relying on foot transportation only? Uh, major metropolitan transportation, you know, buses, subways, etc. Or, you know, and also your appetite for exploring. Some people don't want to explore. Some people simply, like I said, they come into their city ahead of time, they go to the hotel, and they spend the evening at the hotel. And that's okay, too. There is nothing wrong with that. But the way that I like to travel is if I'm visiting, you know, New York City, or Vancouver, or Boston, or, or even Tampa, it is fun to get out there and see what there is to do. If, even if it's just like, okay, let's go grab dinner somewhere and maybe do something in the evening, that works as well. So hopefully this will help you get an idea of what to expect. What are the major attractions in the, these particular cities to do before your cruise? I suppose you could also apply this to after your cruise as well if you wanted to do something there. Let's start off with Miami. Miami, of course, is is or was the cruise capital of the world. I think between Miami and Fort Lauderdale, they keep trading on and off, but it was, it is a major cruising city. And when we're talking about Miami, the thing to do is Miami Beach, South Beach, going over to South Beach. Uh, the port of Miami is essentially in between downtown Miami and South Beach. South Beach is almost like its own little island uh, to the east of uh, Port Miami. So it's very close by and you can easily get there from the airport. You're probably even by Lyft or Uber. You're probably talking about no more than half an hour unless there's traffic. Of course, that's a whole different story. But South Beach is, well, there's the beach, but it's more than just the beach. There's certainly, it's a great way to start your vacation if you're looking for some beach experiences there. I mean, it's a beautiful beach, uh, but there's also shopping. There is dining, hotels. It's a great place to stay. What's nice about South Beach is you can stay there in your pre-cruise visit uh, and then walk around on foot. You don't really need a rental car or even taxis to get around unless you're, you know, really going from one end to another end. But 
having stayed there myself, I can tell you it's very easy to get around on foot in South Beach. Keep in mind, it's very warm over there, especially in the warmer months of the year, but South Beach is really nice. If you're looking for something different or you're not an outdoorsy kind of person, the Aventura Mall is not bad. I mean, at the end of the day, visiting a mall, I know it's it's a little, you know, commercialized. Obviously, not a little, it's very commercialized, but the Aventura Mall is a, is a really nice mall. A lot of people like that. And in a lot of these cities, you can always use malls as a great place to go, not only get something to eat, but to also spend a little bit of time. And for a lot of folks who are coming over internationally who are maybe don't have a lot of time, it's a good opportunity to get some shopping in. So there you go for Miami, some good choices. There's a ton more, by the way. There's the Frost Science Center. You've got local sports teams in Miami if you wanna go catch a game, whether it's the Miami Heat, the Miami Marlins, the Miami Dolphins. Uh, there's a variety of options there as well. Now, Port Canaveral, AKA Orlando, has a lot going for it as well. Um, now, Port Canaveral is where your cruise goes out of, and Royal Caribbean advertises it as Orlando, but they're two different places. Uh, Port Canaveral's on the coast, and Orlando is inland, and Orlando's about eh, 45 minutes or so uh, car ride over. You will you can either take, uh, again, a rental car, a, a Lyft or Uber ride, a taxi ride, car service. There's a variety of means to get back and forth. If you want to limit yourself to Port Canaveral area, then you're going to want to go to Cocoa Beach. Uh, actually, in Port Canaveral, there's a couple of great restaurants. Uh, there is Grills and there is Fish Lips. These are right at the port. And while you can't walk from your hotel to the port, it is a nice area to spend some time in, especially the evening before. You can watch other cruise ships go by. Uh, there's usually a great breeze over there, a live music performed. It's a great spot to go. And of course, in Cocoa Beach itself, which is the beach area very close by to the actual port, you've got, you know, obviously the beach itself, you've got restaurants, uh, you've got some shopping opportunities as well. It's a beach town. It is your stereotypical Atlantic coast, Florida beach. If you've been there, St. Augustine or, I mean, South Beach is just a really nice version of it, but it's same general experience there. And again, some people want to go to the beach, some people don't want to go to the beach, but you have that opportunity. The other major draw though, for a lot of people who go to on a cruise out of Port Canaveral is to actually head inland over to Orlando. Orlando is world renowned for its area attractions, Walt Disney World, Universal Studios, SeaWorld, just a few of the major things to do in Orlando. I wouldn't recommend those theme parks I just mentioned for the day of, like you fly in, you go to a hotel, and then you go to like Disney World. It's in the sense that it's kind of a waste of money. Um, because these attractions are so large and there's so much to do, I don't think it's the best use of your money. If you want to go visit Disney World or Universal Studios or even SeaWorld, you should plan a land vacation to do that or come in multiple days before your cruise or after your cruise in order to do that. If you're coming in for just the day, there are some fantastic outlet opportunities in Orlando. There's two major outlets in Orlando that you can check out. Uh, and of course, this is good for shopping. Uh, you also could do other things like Walt Disney World has... Disney Springs, which is a shopping area, uh, as well as Universal Studios has City Walk, which again, these are these, you know, dining entertainment complexes you can go to. And there's a variety of other attractions in Orlando. I'm certainly Google is your friend in that situation. But Orlando has a major pull for it. And a lot of people end up actually spending their, their pre-cruise stay in Orlando because there's many more hotels in Orlando than there are near Port Canaveral. And they're oftentimes a lot cheaper and better hotels to begin with. So keep that in mind when you're looking there. 
For Baltimore, you know, I think the best thing to do in Baltimore is either you're staying in Baltimore or you're staying in Washington, D.C., right? Washington, D.C. is very close by. There's a ton of attractions there, historical and culturally uh, based. I don't need to go into details about how amazing Washington, D.C. is. But if you want to stay in Baltimore itself, I would suggest the Inner Harbor. The Inner Harbor has a lot going on. There's retail options. There's uh, lots of dining. Uh, it's very walkable. Uh, you'll find crafts, collectibles, shoes, leather goods, big brands, uh, a ton of things to shop, eat, and, and see in the Inner Harbor. It was uh, actually Baltimore is the inspiration for a lot of cities who had some urban uh, planning done to revitalize some of their inner city areas. And Inner Harbor is really nice. Uh, you can find a lot of shopping and eating there. And I think that it's also close by to the port. So I think you'll end up being in that area probably to begin with. So there's a good option there. For Fort Lauderdale, a.k.a. Port Everglades, you know, my favorite thing to recommend is Los Olas Boulevard. There's shopping, dining, events, entertainment, galleries, things to do. It is your major hub of what there is to do in Fort Lauderdale. Obviously, the beach is something that when we're talking about any of these Florida ports, whether it is Miami, Fort Lauderdale, Port Canaveral, Tampa, you know, the beach is always the option for you. It's never too hard to get to one. And you say, well, what's the best beach out there? I mean, you're really arguing over, you know, one or the other, but... They're all great. There isn't one beach really that I wouldn't recommend necessarily. It's more of a matter of what you're looking for. But, you know, in terms of like, you know, do you want, you know, all-inclusive? Do you want, you know, just a, a, a an area of sand you can put your towel down on? So anyway, Los Olas Boulevard, uh, O-L-A-S uh, is the name of the street. And you got a lot going on over there. It, it's a major hub. It's, it's a nice area to walk around as well, especially if you're staying in a hotel nearby. Now let's head over to Tampa because there's a lot to do in Tampa, but it's a lot less centralized than it is, say, in Fort Lauderdale or Miami. You've got a lot of area attractions that you could do before your cruise. I'd say you probably can work one or two in in just the day before kind of situation. You've got the local aquarium. There's the Lowry Park Zoo, Tampa Nature Preserves. If you're looking for the beach, I think you take a ride over to Clearwater Beach. That's a little further out but it's by far an amazing area to go see and do. There's great dining in Tampa. Uh, you can get some great Cuban restaurant options, uh, some fish, obviously fresh seafood uh, and, and the like. And also you've got um, some local businesses in the Hyde Park Village and uh, some areas downtown as well. It's a nice area, but again, Tampa's a little less centralized than some of the other cities you're gonna find in Florida. Let's move over to Boston now because Boston is a major city. I haven't had the opportunity to cruise out of Boston yet. I'm actually got one coming up next year on Brilliance of the Seas. It's actually, here comes a shameless plug, everybody. Hey, Royal Caribbean blog group cruise. It's uh, going to be in October 2020. Brilliance of the Seas out of Boston to, to New England and Canada. That, that, there's a lot of firsts in there. Never cruise out of Boston. Never cruise to New England and Canada. Very excited for that. And I absolutely love Brilliance of the Seas. So anyway, uh, go to royalcaribbeanblog.com slash events for more information about that. There's your shameless plug right there. But you know, Boston has a lot of great things to do. Boston's a major U.S. city. So you've got a lot of history in there. You have the Old North Church, Castle Island Park. There's uh, comedy places. Obviously, a lot of great dining in there. There's the Boston Duck Tours, which are those trucks or, or buses, whatever that goes into the water. There's the New England Aquarium, uh, Paula Revere's house. The Boston Children's Museum is really cool. You want to check that one out. And of course, you've got some great ships in there, the Boston Tea Party Ships Museum. There's some absolutely exquisite breweries in there in Boston. So yeah, you've got a lot of great choices in Boston to, to see and do. Galveston is one 
that is interesting because Galveston is an island. If you've never cruised out of Galveston, you fly into Houston and then you drive about 45 minutes to an hour to the coast and you go on to Galveston. And Galveston reminds me a lot of A1A in Florida, like a like one of those cities, like a Cocoa Beach, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, it's, it's a beach town, very different than the areas you drove through on your way from Houston. But there's a lot of great architecture in Galveston. Galveston has a lot of history to it. I think what you're really talking about, you've got Seawolf Park, which is... Uh, uh, definitely worth a visit over there. There's an offshore drilling museum. You've got the uh, Galveston Pleasure Pier, which is one of the newest attractions over there, and has a lot of great landmarks and things to do. I think it's great for the kids as well. There's roller coasters and you know, kind of. It's I think it's great for the evening kind of stuff. Um, there, there's a lot of cool little things in history and dining in Galveston. The nice thing about Galveston is you don't have to go very far. You know, it's the opposite of Tampa. You're in the little island over there, and I think that once you're there and you're in your hotel, I would definitely pick a hotel on the island. You can save a lot of money if you pick a hotel off of Galveston Island, but I think if you're planning to do stuff beforehand, definitely stay on the island. I think it's the way to go. Next up is the Big Easy New Orleans or New Orleans or however they pronounce it down there. And having been in New Orleans, it's an interesting town. <laughs> There's a lot going on. I mean, you have the French Quarter and you know, you've got some great culture and history over there. There's Bourbon Street, which I don't recommend you bring any children to. My goodness, people do that. I would never bring my kids there until they're much, much older there. You got Cafe Du Monde, which has you know, the the beignets, which everybody raves about. I think they're okay, but hey, you get a little taste of that. But you know, the, I think the, the French Quarter, the live jazz music, if you're into that, you really want to explore those areas. You know, New Orleans is a tough town to do on foot. It can be done. I have done it on foot before, but in a lot of cases, I think you're going to find a lot of need for taxis. But again, I think you're, if you relegate yourself to the French Quarter, you're going to find a lot of attractions. There's certainly enough to fill a nice afternoon and evening to keep you busy uh, a day before your cruise. For Vancouver, let's head there now. You know, this is again one I have not visited yet on a cruise, but there's a lot of cool things to do in Vancouver. There's a lot of shopping. It's a major city. So you're going to have, when you're talking about major cities like Miami, Vancouver, and, and the like, there's always, if you stay downtown near the cruise port, you're going to find plenty of dining and, and you know, bars and, and things to do in and around it of itself. But the major things to do in Vancouver, you got Granville Island, which is a nice neighborhood right beneath the Granville Bridge. There's a lot of culture over there. You got restaurants, theaters, some shopping opportunities. There's the Lonsdale K Market. Uh, you've got Gastown, which is one of the oldest neighborhoods. Got a lot of Victorian architecture there as well. You've got Grouse Mountain, which takes you on a sky ride up to the top of a mountain area, 4,100 feet above the city. It's kind of a cool thing. I think this would be a, of interest to me to check out. And there's, that's just, you know, you've got the, there's a Capilano Suspension Bridge Park, which is a giant suspension bridge. You've got Fear of Heights, do not go here, <laughs> but kind of need to do there. And, and there's a lot more to do in Vancouver. So a lot to enjoy there. Nearby Seattle, you know, if you're coming there just for the afternoon or, you know, less than a day in Seattle, Relegate yourself to downtown Seattle. You've got the Space Needle. You've got some a lot of museums there in downtown Seattle. It's fine for spending an afternoon and evening. There's dining. You don't have to go very far. You can go to the, you know the the seafood market. You have of course the original Starbucks location. Trust me, there's enough tourist thingies to do in downtown. Now, if you're like me and you wanted to spend more than one day there, when I went to Seattle last year on Explorer of the Seas. We went there for, I think, uh, three nights, two or three nights. I think it was, yeah, two nights. And if I could go back, when we do go back next year, we're going to do something different, and that is go around the area of attractions. Certainly seeing the Space Needle is neat and all that, 
but there's a lot more things outside of Seattle, and this is when you really want to rent a car. You've got Boeing Field, you've got the mountain ranges, a lot of great natural parks, or and national parks there, I should mention. Uh, you have nearby Vancouver. Uh, you could obviously take a ride over there with a car. You would need a full day over there to take a ride to Vancouver, but I would like to do that because I think it's a lot of fun to see all those things I just mentioned earlier in this episode about Vancouver. But you should also know that I think having a car in Seattle is very advantageous for you, more so than I think a lot of other places that we mentioned earlier, a lot of the other cities, because again, it's a little more dispersed and there's a lot more options out there. And lastly, Cape Liberty in New Jersey, which of course is right across the harbor from New York City. And we're talking about New York, New York. Um, a lot of people end up just sending in New Jersey at a hotel nearby the port. That's okay, but I think if you've never been to New York City, my goodness, you are missing out. There is a tremendous amount of things to see, do, and experience in New York City. I mean, first and foremost, the food. My goodness, you could find food from all over the world. Some of the best, in fact, from different cuisines. There's food, there's culture, you've got museums, you've got Broadway, so you've got a lot of different show opportunities. There's historical landmarks you can explore. Uh, New York, Manhattan especially, really what we're talking about here, is phenomenal. If you are staying and you want to explore Manhattan, stay in the city. Stay in Manhattan. Avoid staying in a hotel that's in Queens or Brooklyn. I know it'll save you money, but the hassle of getting back and forth to me is not worth it. So make sure you stay in a hotel in Manhattan. It makes exploring the city so much easier. And that way, the next day, when it's time for your cruise, take a taxi or something over to the port in New Jersey. It's a lot easier, but... Uh, Trust me, you're not going to run out of things to see in, in, in Manhattan. So there you go. There's a look at some of the major ports in North America that you can cruise at and what to do if you come in there at least a day ahead of time. You know, Google is your friend. Uh, always, you know, when you come to any city you're talking about, one of my best strategies is simply Google, you know, top things to do in blank, insert city name here. It really does help out a lot. And, you know, again, there's nothing, there is nothing wrong with simply going to your hotel room and kind of relaxing and chilling out. But if this is your first time visiting some of these cities, take advantage of it because it is really neat to be able to, you know, get a little taste of what that city has to offer, especially before the cruise when you're pumped, you're excited. And like I said earlier in the broadcast, hey, this is a good opportunity to guard against travel delays and start your vacation a little bit earlier. All right, time to answer your listener emails. This is the part of the episode where I go right to your emails that you've sent me, answer your cruise questions, talk about something I said that was wrong. <laughs> Otherwise, just talk Royal with all of you guys. And of course, you can always send me your email by sending it to matt at royalcaribbeanblog.com. Our first email today is from David Barnes. Right, just sailed on Harmony of the Seas, and I have a couple takeaways. Number one, we arrived at the pier around 10.15 a.m. We're on board by 10.45. We are platinum with express arrival. Key, Sweet, and Pinnacle boarding started around 10.35. Emerald and Platinum boarded in the same group. Coco Key was fantastic, minus a few showers in the morning. We did not do any paid activities, but enjoyed the beach and Oasis pool. Finding the chicken crack sandwich was harder than expected. Uh, <laughs> chicken crack sandwich, I like that. It's the crispy chicken sandwich, and it's available at the Snack Shack locations. All right, back to uh, David's email here. Formal night was re returned by name. Rumor was it was just a typo on an earlier compass. That is correct. Uh, number four, Storm Jerry chases most of the way back from St. Martin, resulting in several crew members commenting on the rough seas. Many outside activities were canceled on day six and seven, with alternate activities scheduled uh, as well. And lastly, Wonderland was awesome, but not for the culinary unadventurous. Person so disinclined to stick with other restaurants. Well, David, thank you so much for the email. I really appreciate that. Thanks for sharing it. Our next email is from Daniel Nitt. He writes, I have just a quick question for you today. 
My fiance and I are getting married on a Friday and leaving for Harmony of the Seas on Saturday. We'll be arriving in Orlando around 1 to 2 a.m. on Sunday, and we're wondering if you think it'd be beneficial to get a hotel for the short 2 to 8 p before we'd have to be back at the airport to catch our Go Port Canaveral shuttle. We tried to take your advice and make it the day before, but the price difference between going there this late and maybe 8 p.m. was around $300. Thanks for all you do. Love your content. I would definitely recommend a hotel. I mean, what's your other option? Sit in the ho in the airport for a couple hours? I'll tell you this, Daniel. I mean, if you already booked the airfare, it is what it is. But obviously, I would say get a hotel. And of course, the cost of the hotel is going to probably eat into that $300 savings in which you should have just gotten the hotel beforehand. But that boat may have sailed. Uh, I, yeah, I do recommend getting somewhere to stay, be able to rest your head. Look, I know on paper, when you're sitting at home, hey, having a couple hours of, of sleep doesn't sound like a big deal. It's a big deal. I, I don't know about you, but I will take three hours of sleep over no sleep. Uh, it, 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 yeah, logistically and financially, maybe not the, the, the best of options there, but I'm the first to tell you that I really feel you'd be beneficial from doing it. If it were me, Daniel, I would do it that way. Again, I like to treat myself as much as I can. So, you know, it is, maybe you're the kind of person who has that kind of giant backpack I always see in an airport. I'm like, how do you pack everything in there? But yeah, personally, if you ask my opinion, I would go for the hotel. Next, we have an email from Kevin O'Brien from Columbus, Ohio. I'm currently gold status with Crown and Anchor site with 29 points. Yes, one point short of platinum. My next cruise is not until September 2020 on Harmony of the Seas. This cruise will get me two platinum. I don't see a lot of huge benefits of platinum, but I did see that you can get a balcony and sweet discounts. My first question is, are the discounts anything to write home about? And lastly, I'm looking to book a cruise in 2021, but should I wait till it's platinum in September 2020 before I book in 2021? Thanks for all your help and thanks for all your wonderful, helpful tips and tricks. So the the discount for being a platinum member, you do one of the benefits you do get for being platinum is you do get a balcony discount, which extends the suites as well. And the amount will, will increase as you move up the, the tiers, Kevin. So when you get to Emerald, that discount gets bigger, Diamond, Diamond Plus, Pinnacle, et cetera. And you, your question is, is it anything to write home about? Yeah, it's it's money back. I mean, it can be actually in a lot of cases that saved me a lot of money over the years. So the answer to your question is yes, it is worth it. Uh, and your second part of the question, you wanna book a cruise for 2021. What I've been able to do in the past is let them know, hey, I wanna book a cruise you know, a year and a half from now, but I'm not at platinum yet, but I will be by the time of their cruise. I've always been able to get that, the discount applied because as long as by final payment date, I think you're set to go with, with your status, they will honor it. And I've had pretty good luck with that, Kevin. So my advice to you, as you know, is to book very, very far in advance and let whomever you let your travel agent know, hey, you know, I'm going to be platinum at this point. So make sure that's reflected on the reservation. I've been able to do this certainly even in next cruise office as well when I was on a lower tier and say, hey, look, in this cruise, we're going to be this way. I have been able in the, as well, additionally, been able to retroactively apply it. Like, you know, you book a cruise, you're at this status. Later on, you move up. Oh, I didn't realize I was going to be at this status and apply the discount. But then maybe, again, you may have to reprice it at that time. But I would at least ask because I'm pretty darn sure I've been able to have that work for me, Kevin. So hopefully that answers your email there. Our next email is from KWS. That's their name. We're going with it. Uh, I'm new to the podcast and worked my way backward from your latest episode back to 265. As a cruiser experience with celebrity only, I'm enjoying learning about Royal Caribbean. Can you help me with excursions you know that are focused primarily on the history of an island with a special attention to the age of piracy? Google does not seem to produce much for me. It does not matter which port stop. A comment for any potential cruisers that believe that cruising is too experienced, I just say spend two minutes with Google and a calculator. 
we will be trying out Empress of the Seas Bermuda docked for four days and for a price cheaper than merely flying to Bermuda. Thanks to all the cruisers that seriously value alcohol, especially dining, gambling, and the need to be connected, all of you help the cruise lines continue to offer cruises at extremely low prices. Finally, from time to time, please let people know they are you are affectionately referred to the Windjamer in a different way. Same with Jill's Galleon. Keep up the fantastic work. <laughs> That's right, yeah. The Windjamer is not the official pronunciation of it, just Matt's pronunciation of it. In terms of the age of pirates, that's a good question. You know, KWS, the one thing that instantly came to my mind is in NASA Bahamas, there is a pirate museum. Uh, that one I know of for certain exists. You can walk to it from the uh, from where your ship docks in NASA. Beyond that, I'm not aware of any off the top of my head. Uh, maybe some of our listeners can comment in this week's show notes of any other museums or exhibits or experiences, if you will, about the age of piracy in the Caribbean. Obviously, that was a major uh, part of the Caribbean's history. And I am certain there is a lot that goes into it. Uh, I would also add in thinking about it now, in San Juan, Puerto Rico, you have the old Spanish forts, which served a variety of roles, including obviously guarding against piracy. So you might want to uh, explore those um, forts. There's uh, San Cristobal and El Moro. I would choose El Moro over San Cristobal, but admission into one gets you an admission into both. It's a U.S. national park, so it's like eight bucks to get in there. Really, really, really cool stuff. And you can learn about that. There's guided tours. You can do it on your own. You get it. Uh, but beyond that, I'm wondering about some of the other ports you can visit. I mean, St. Thomas comes to mind, but I, I don't like Nassau. I know there's a museum over there. I know there's a dedicated facility for that. I'm just not sure if there are other things. I, I got to think there are tours or something to that effect that are there. I'm just not familiar with them. And again, I'm hoping that some of our listeners can help you out there with, with getting that. So thank you for the email. Our next email is from Lauren Richardson, who writes, uh, just listen to episode 321. Mark and I have never eaten the main dining room for dinner. This is her Royal Caribbean confession. Never, never. Lauren, I've cruised with Lauren and Mark. Super nice couple. Uh, they're they're down for whatever. I like the, I like people who are always down for whatever. Never eaten the main dining room. Well, Lauren and Mark, we're gonna have to work. I love the main dining room. I know that in this day and age, we get a lot we give a lot of attention, especially me. I'm guilty of this, giving a lot of attention to specialty dining. But I love the main dining room. I think it's fun. I love getting to know the the same weights up every evening. I like I like them getting to know me, cracking jokes with them, learning about you know about where they come from. I, I really enjoy it. And I'm hoping, Lauren, next time you and Mark join us on a Royal Caribbean blog group cruise, we should totally do dinner in the main, in the main dining room. Because, you know, if we're going on like, you know, ship like Brilliance of the Seas or, or any of these group cruises we have coming up, you know, it's a lot of fun. You know, you, know, you can sprinkle in some especially dining here and there, but I, I, I love it. So Mark uh, and Lauren, I hope you get to uh, change that confession. But that is a, that's a big one. That's like the opposite. I was thinking of something like you were going to do that was like, we always say not to do, but that's like the opposite of that. So. Good stuff. Next email from Tony. Hey, Tony. Sorry, couldn't resist. Uh, I've been binge listening to your podcast since my fiance and I booked a seven night honeymoon cruise on Liberty of the Seas for next May. Love listening to your show on my way to work. My question is, is it possible to arrive at the port too early on embarkation day? We're gonna book a couple's massage at noon to start off our trip. Wanna make sure we don't miss it. Also, do you think we have any problems getting to the ship in time uh, for something planned this early? Um, you can't get to the terminal too early. If you get to the terminal before 10 a.m., especially North America, Tony, you're completely wasting your time. I have seen people where I have gone out off my cruise. My cruise has ended. I'm disappointed. I'm depressed. So I'm getting, I'm walking out of the terminal, let's say 7.30, 8 a.m. And I have actually seen people already arriving. And 
it, it, look, you all know I am very excited to go on cruises and I am always down for arriving super duper early. 8 a.m. is way too early. I mean, I get it. Maybe you got nowhere else to be, but go to go get breakfast somewhere. Go to Starbucks. Go because what you're going to when you get there that early, you will be forced to stand outside the terminal standing in the elements, whether it's hot or cold or rainy or whatever, and just waiting around. Don't do that. So, yes, it is possible to get there too early. If you want to get there early, but not too early, anytime after 10 a.m. I usually aim for 10 a.m. And we get there around 10, good to go. And if you do that, Tony, you will definitely be on board for your noon uh, massage. Usually boarding begins somewhere around 11 a.m. Sometimes it's early as 10.30, sometimes as late as maybe even 11.30, but usually you're on the ship by around 11 or so. So you have no problems. You can even grab a bite to eat before your massage. Although I'm not sure that, is that swimming? You're not supposed to eat before swimming? And I'm not sure about massages and how that works, but you could totally do that, so. Tony, thanks for the email there. Time for another email, and let's go to our next one. It is from Barbara, who writes, the luggage program, where you can pay to have your luggage checked in from the ship straight to the Miami airport. I know they used to have this program, but I don't know if they still have it anymore. My flight is leaving at two o'clock in the afternoon, if that's important. Thanks, always trying to get great information and keeping us updated, I appreciate that. And Barbara is sailing on Symphony of the Seas here, wants to know about the luggage program. There is not a luggage valet service, it's called luggage valet in Miami. It used to be offered, but it's not there anymore. Right now, luggage valet is offered in Fort Lauderdale, Port Everglades, Port Canaveral, and Seattle, Washington. This is a, a program through Royal Caribbean where you can bypass traditional airport check-in and basically you, the Royal Caribbean will take your luggage and check you in for your flight, uh, plus any fees, of course, um, on seven night sailings or longer in those ports I just mentioned. Miami is not one. There may be a third party option, Barbara, that can exist where you can essentially, you walk off the ship, you go to the service and then drop off your luggage and they take it from there. I did a Google search and I found luggage storage Miami port for $5.95 per day per item. It's called Verto, V-E-R-T-O-E. -E. There can be other services as well. I'm pretty sure, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure I saw one walking out of the terminal. Can't guarantee that. But there's, you know, luggagehero.com and Google is your friend in that situation. I haven't used any of these, so I can't, I don't take this as a recommendation of any of these, but uh, there could be a third party option available to you. It's not nearly as convenient as what Royal Caribbean offers with this luggage valet, but what Barbara is basically saying is, look, my flight's on until two o'clock. I don't wanna be lugging my stuff all around and I don't wanna go to the airport and just simply sit there. So again, a third party option. The other option, option D, I guess we're up to now, would be to take a Royal Caribbean excursion. Do, if you do an excursion through Royal Caribbean, you can, of course, they'll take your luggage with you uh, after your cruise, and that can be an option for you. So let's go to our next email. It's from uh, Pete in Minneapolis, Minnesota. You're an amazing resource. Thanks for all the information you provide in all of its formats. My wife and I are taking our three daughters on Liberty of the Seas for New Year's this year. I have two questions. Number one, what should I expect for temperatures and weather in Galveston, being from Minnesota and driving down? Just trying to figure out what to pack for the day or two before we get on the ship. Great question. According to Google, the average temperature in Galveston, Texas in the month of December is a high of 64 and a low of 51. Now for me as a Floridian, that sounds downright chilly, not cold, chilly. That's to me, that is jeans, t-shirt and a jacket weather. For you in Minnesota, it is probably go to the pool time. <laughs> I don't know that's really the case, but it's uh, it can get kind of chilly down there. So yeah, while you're in Galveston, I would plan on certainly uh, I would plan on jackets and jeans, not winter coats necessarily, 
but a hoodie or a, a, a you know a light jacket would be a pretty good idea for that. And lastly, uh, expecting formal night to be on December 31st, thinking of renting a tuxedo for something special from Royal Caribbean. Any insights as to do they make getting alterations easy? I have not rented a tuxedo from Royal Caribbean. However, I do know some fo folks and friends who have done it and said that it's very good. The key, of course, is to book it before the cruise and they've had pretty good luck with it. Again, I can't give you a personalized recommendation there. And in terms of alterations, I have, I've only heard good things about the service, but you do have to obviously do it in advance. And of course you make the argument, well, if you're gonna plop down the money for a tuxedo rental, you know, if you just bought your own tuxedo, it would have paid for itself compared to renting it, you know, two or three times on board the ship. But that's a whole different argument for a whole different day over there. So <laughs> there you go. And our last email is from N. Pattison writes, Hi Matt, love your blog, thank you. Question, I'm near 340 points as a single cruiser. I get double points at present paying double occupancy. Do the cruise points go down to 1.5 or stay double once I get 340 points? Thanks, appreciate your help. And the answer to your question is yes, the single supplement cruise fare is reduced to 150% from 200% for Crown and Anchor members that have 340 or more cruise points. So that means instead of paying double for your cruise fare, if you're, if you're cruising solo in a regular standard double occupancy room, you'll only be paying one and a half, which is, a, which is savings. So yes, absolutely, that will be coming to you once you hit that plateau. And thank you for the email. And thank you to everybody for checking out this episode of the Royal Korean Blog Podcast. And uh, until next time, I'm Matt Hotchberg. We'll talk again real soon.